Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Triple R. I'm pretty excited to introduce you to today's guests, author and editor Lee Kaufman and the beloved former host of ABC's erstwhile book show, now better known for her own books, Ramona Caval, will join me to talk about a new anthology, Split, features essays covering themes of loss and leaving and new beginnings, all with a stellar cast of writers. We'll be discussing the book and all it contains later in the hour, but soon. In a beautifully woven collection, a moving fictional rendering, Alice Bishop explores a cast all affected in some way by the Black Saturday bushfires. Some hold portents of what's to come, others are singed by loss, all explores what it's like to arrive in a suddenly changed world. That is all in a constant hum. And we'll be hearing more about that from Alice herself uh, very, very soon. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. Now, the enormity of the Black Saturday bushfires, the vast devastation, can be really difficult to process. But fiction has a great ability to slip into the subconscious and allow us to look at the very human perspectives of a great tragedy. Alice Bishop's A Constant Hum does just that, a collection of beautifully wrought vignettes Diving from the third person to the first to the second brings home the human experience of sudden extreme loss or the eerie dawning of it and the small quiet details that are missed in big retellings. The stories don't always come from the heart of the fire-affected zones but are all touched by it in some way. Joining me to talk about this really quite beautiful book is author Alice Bishop. Alice, welcome to Backstory. Hi, Mel. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this was obviously addressing a subject that for so many is so incredibly powerful. I, like many Victorians and Australians, in fact, um, you know, can remember the day of the Black Saturday bushfires because it was really like, you know, it was like walking through soup uh, that day. I was at a friend's wedding in a quite remote location and none of us knew what had happened uh, until we'd sort of left that beautiful zone uh, unless you know some people did find out and maybe didn't share it because they didn't want to spoil the day but I thought a lot about that while I was reading this book where did these stories arrive to for you because they're from extremely different perspectives sure yeah I think I think a lot about the day um which was obviously almost or was just after 10 years now the 10 years have passed and um the stories for me in A Constant Hum were really born out of my own experience of Black Saturday and losing a family home to the bushfires. So we lost our house to the East Kilmore fire. There were two um, quite big fires on the day, um, classified as firestorms, one being the East Kilmore fire and um, the other one being the Murrindindi fire. And 
for me, I think I started writing them in 2009 in my head and um, I worked in retail for a couple of years post Black Saturday and then I decided to go back to uni and that really gave me the time and space to read a lot and to to kind of um, spend some time thinking about how I wanted the collection to look. And um, for me, I wanted to write about the bushfires in a way that wasn't sensationalist and and that it kind of bucked a bit of the national narrative which is one of you know mateship and and the community coming together and and there were definitely elements of that um for us after black saturday but it was it was also a really tough time in that um once the kind of white noise of the media's disappeared you know what are you left with and um, we're okay, my family are okay but I wanted to really write about some people who are still living with that burden um, many, many years after kind of the media's subsided. I think the way this book starts is is kind of extraordinary because you enter through the third person in a retelling that sadly is is all too familiar. Sure. I think Chloe Hooper's The Arsonist really, uh, you know, covered this and the court case around it um, and the complexity of how to feel about the person who started the fire, yeah. um, you know, who had his yeah. own extreme issues yeah. you know, in great depth. But you start from that perspective, from the perspective of someone who has had an enormous loss, of un- sure. an unfathomable loss of family members who is attending this court case. And so as you come into it, you're yeah. very much drawn into the, this kind of factual retelling told from the third person but very quickly the stories start to kind of you know zoom into people's consciousness and you know the stories become a little bit more complex and and interesting and nuanced they focus on small details can you talk about some of these these quieter stories if you like and and how you've managed to infuse them with that that sense of loss or that sense of impending dread or tragedy sure I think so the book starts um it's divided into three sections so it's divided into different kinds of wins so it starts with prevailing and then it um progresses to the section that's named um southerly which is a cooler wind and then most people in Melbourne will have kind of an emotive response to to the northerly section which is um the, the section that kind of concerns itself mostly with the direct aftermath of Black Saturday but in the kind of lead up to that section in a constant hum, I'm really interested in um, women's strength during bushfire. I think for me, I was quite obsessed with the media after Black Saturday, kind of um, especially because I found myself on the other side of the news and as quite a privileged person, I hadn't realised I'd been quite ignorant that, that you know, um, you can find yourself on the wrong side of the news overnight. And um, I... In that kind of media about Black Saturday, I didn't really see my mum's quiet strength or the women in my community's quiet strength really reflected um, as much as I'd like it to be. Um, There's a lot of kind of stereotypical images of women women after bushfire. You know, it's them making white bread sandwiches for the CFA or or they're huddled in dams or they're taking on caring roles. And I really wanted to, in a constant hum, explore the strength of of women in emergency services and women who are holding things together when when all of your reference points after bushfire really are really stripped from you. And um, I hope the stories in that sense capture those small moments of strength that 
have maybe been muffled in other in other through other channels. I want to talk about this because I was thinking a little bit about, say, Hiroshima, for example, sure. which is obviously based on a lot of interviews that have been turned into, um, you know, stories, and it was all about obviously the disaster that sure, happened in yeah. Hiroshima. Uh, but it was a way of retelling it or really creating a sense of the disaster that that kind of you know started mm. to circle around, mm. um, you know, this huge thing that is. Mm completely unfathomable otherwise when you were creating these stories did you in fact interview people or or talk to people or did you use your experience as a springboard for imagination um you know and base perhaps some of the experiences on people you'd known sure yeah so I guess a lot of the books based on my own kind of grappling with the with the bushfires of Black Saturday but it's also a Constant Hum really has so many people's stories weaved through it who I've met through our community and um, word of mouth stories. And as I said, I, I was a bit obsessed with um, the coverage of the fires and um, kept all the newspapers. And I refer often, I referred often to um, the um, Royal Commission report, which came out after Black Saturday, which had quite a few accounts of um, quite harrowing stories about people's personal experiences with bushfire. And um, for me, I really wanted those kind of sensory um, details to come through in a constant hum, the smells, the sights, the sounds, because when we went back to um, the ridge, it had been obliterated by, by the fire and you can imagine what it would be like um, in your mind, but you you can't really ever imagine the smell of chemical ash and and you know the wildlife that you see charred and all of those details. I think can kind of fall by the wayside, um, and it's it, those images kind of haunt you, I guess. And and I wanted to to put that in in hum. In a strange way, I think I think about you know the detail in this book and the things that really have the impact, like a, a woman, you know, whose house is filled with flowers, which is, you know, you know that association that we have with death, um, you know, the overwhelming nature of that, more than perhaps the, the direct visceral attack of, sure. you know, the aftermath of a fire, which is brutal, but mm. there's something about it that makes, I think, our brains shut down or recoil. Um, yeah. What, what were the, you know, how did you kind of pick these details? Are they things that had occurred to you um, that really really, you know, kind of characterised a sense of loss. Yeah, I think for me those details are equally as affecting as the quite traumatic details. You know, if I remember my parents had a really big collection of uh, books and records and um, had been collecting Joan Baez records and Bob Dylan records for many years and they were in really big pine cupboards in our old house that, that burnt down and the small gesture of, of a family friend bringing back a couple of those records to our, our new house, our rebuilt house. And to me, that gesture is one of quite, it's beautiful, but it's also quite telling that you can't really recover 50 years of, of, of life or possessions. And um, to me, those details laced through, through a constant hum are the ones like the flowers after um, um, a housewarming or house cooling, as they'd like to call it, to not to bring up any connotations. But they're the ones that really kind of thump you in the chest and, and bring the reality of, of bushfire to, to light, I think. 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Alice Bishop about her beautiful collection, a fictional work called A Constant Hum that draws on stories uh, from the Black Saturday bushfires. Alice, uh, really, this, the part of this book or the book, the book's spirit, I guess, um, is really captured in its writing Um, you really do explore different styles and different perspectives but all the way through you have this really you know quite gorgeous um, well-written yet somehow restrained um, style and I think the only way to really capture that uh, for a listening audience is to have you read a bit so would you like to I know you have a a reading selected could you maybe introduce that and then give us a little taste (laughs) so um, i I picked this little um, excerpt, it's called Can't Complain, and um, I think it kind of references the difficulties of rebuilding after bushfire, and not everyone wanted to go back to the bush after bushfire, but um, there was a lot of bureaucracy and red tape, and um, this one is based on my dad, and based on the builder who we discovered much later had built the original house in the 70s it was a red brick house that burnt down and um this this little kind of section was sparked by a conversation that I overheard my my dad and the builder having so it's called can't complain can't complain 65 on top of normal building costs give or take a few thou John the builder says it's the only way you'll be allowed back John's from Yarra Constructions. His advice to my father is straightforward. His own first house burned down on Ash Wednesday, 83. That smell of your burning things, he says, standing next to us in the place our house used to be. Stays with you forever, mate. Forever, sorry to say. John's glasses are tortoise shell, plastic rimmed. The lenses are thick. Beside him, my father looks worn down. The donated clothes he wears don't fit properly and the usual softness has left his face. He nods. John the Builder does too. That much really? Dad asks, again just to be sure. New building requirements for fire zones, John says, shaking his head. Don't make the rules, but have to stick to them, otherwise they'll come after me, you see. Well, mate, my father says. Guess I can't complain. I guess we can't. We're both still here, John the Builder says. Thank you so much okay. for that reading. <laughs> I think um, what I also find interesting is your kind of, you know, selective use of different pronouns throughout, you know, where you pull out to have the classical third sure, person yep. retelling that really makes the collection, you know, you know, grounds it in the familiar storytelling yeah. style around... A tragedy like this to suddenly being in the first person to suddenly yeah. uh, you know and a very kind of um you know uh, something that draws the reader in with the second person you are yeah. suddenly implicated in this story um what made you choose to do things in this way uh, was it more led by the characters that you were exploring were you trying to really evoke a particular mood I think I really wanted it to be balanced across the collection to have a ver- like a variety of, of viewpoints. 
But again, with the second person, I love reading the second person. I find it so enthralling um, and writers, local writers, especially like Josephine Rowe, do it so beautifully. And um, I think it's kind of been a long apprenticeship coming up to this book and I've done a lot of reading and I've just been so excited by by my favourite writers that I've wanted to kind of experiment with different you know, voices and perspectives. And in saying that, I wanted it to kind of all hang together as a whole. So that's where a good editor comes in, I think. Um, Well, that does really lead to my next question. In a book like this, where the stories exist independently, the central theme of the fire and, you know, and the different movements of that really are the, the, the threads that hold everything together. How do you write or approach writing a book of this nature, did you start, you know, with what kind of appears to be a collection of short stories, I guess, or short sketches and then knit it together or did you kind of have a, a great vision? I love that, yeah, knitting it together. I I started um, with a real drive to write about the bushfires and a real drive to write, but I never knew it was going to end up as a collection solely about about Black Saturday. It was one that um, originally had stories that were set overseas and and then um, I was lucky to land with text and um, we had a conversation about kind of bringing it back to a local kind of uh, a book about very specifically about place and landscape and and I feel really lucky for that because I think it wouldn't be the book it is today if I hadn't have had that guidance from my editor David Winter who's brilliant but um, you know, it started as uh, 13,000 words and then it went up to 90,000 words and then it went back to 70,000 words and, and now it's just under 50,000 words. So so there's a lot of editing that goes into something like this, but um, I'm really happy with the way it breathes now, I think. And um, I think editing is such a craft in itself and often kind of um, underestimated and, and I'm really lucky. <laughs> so It's always wonderful to hear a writer, lord and editor because yeah. it's often I think there's a perception that a book is a solo pursuit. Not at all. There's yeah. that silent uh, help, helping person. And even um, I feel really lucky to have such a beautiful cover design from um, Image and Stubbs. So, you know, you... you work on something for so long and and you don't really know what the cover... I expected the cover to be quite orange and flames and rubble. (laughs) So I'm really glad that it it is much more subtle and nuanced and and kind of there's hope in in her cover design, Imogen's cover design for a constant hum. and, And again, I feel really lucky for that. Yeah, it's really these pops of red and yellow and green coming out of a, a darker, shadowy landscape. It is, it's really mm. a, a picture of renewal and kind of captures that, that you know, this paradox of the Australian bush as well that, you know, it is like obviously generated by fire, but now in a lot of ways is this does have a sense of, you know, people still having this strong sense of humanity in the face of a huge disaster. Obviously, you know, given climate change uh, and the fact that these events, unfortunately, will be far too common, both floods and fire, you know, do you feel that there's a hope in this book or that perhaps one can reach a bigger community through the art of this kind of storytelling? I think... Idealistically, I would hope that it would encourage change. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Tony Birch recently and he said, you know, the only thing that can encourage change is direct action, not necessarily, you know, books. But 
I think a lot about climate change and and the bushfires of Black Saturday were uh, considered to be climate flared. You know, um, the bushfire is a part of the Australian bush and always was. And um, that's, you know, normal bushfire. These fires were classified as fire storms. And um, a really good reference point is um, that they discovered that the radiant heat emitted from the Black Saturday fires was the equivalent to two Hiroshima bombs. And I think about that a lot and I think about climate change a lot and I think about our country's um, obsession with the narrative of mateship and and community and, and how we really pat ourselves on the back for that, but these events are happening right now in another part of the world. And if those people don't look like the people that are in power, which are white people, we don't welcome. We don't have the same sense of mateship or welcoming or or compassion. And I think, I think that's a really terrible and worrying thing. And and that was what I was thinking about a lot when writing a constant hum and and how I really do hope things change. And and unfortunately, with the way we're going. You know, with climate change, as you say, um, things are going to get worse and these events are going to increase in frequency and intensity. Um, but I guess that's where we've got to vote and and make small changes ourselves and, and not think that someone else is going to do the work for us, I guess. It's a sombre note to finish on, but one that is all too necessary, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Alice Bishop, thank you so much for coming on Backstory and talking about this really, truly beautiful book Thanks today. for having me, Mel. Thank you so much. That was Alice Bishop, author of A Constant Hum, which is really just such a powerful uh, rendering of the Black Saturday bushfires. Very soon, author and former host of ABC's book show, Ramona Caval, and author editor Lee Kaufman join me to talk about a split, about split rather, a collection of essays about loss, leaving, and new beginnings. That's all coming up next. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now, clinging on to life's flotsam while contemplating what it means to let go, leaving a lover and a false sense of self, letting go of a faith that shaped you, all these themes and more fill the pages of a new anthology. Split, a collection of essays on leaving, loss and new beginnings and the complexities of all of those, um, is now something that we are about to talk about. It features a stellar cast of authors, including former ABC show host and author, Mona Caval, and author and editor of the collection, Lee Kaufman. Lee and Ramona, welcome to Backstory. It's Thank great you. to be here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, this is such a delight on so many levels, and I have pretty much just confessed to you as well, Ramona, that I was incredibly nervous having you come on as having been such a huge fan of your show. Thank you. um, it's highly relevant to uh, this discussion today because you have an essay in this collection that is all about your time at the ABC and uh, the incredible amount of work you did to make sure that you not only got amazing guests, but you also really read their books. And I'm reliably told by a lot of authors that that is quite a rarity um, in the book interviewing circuit. 
Apparently so, and and this used to shock me too because I can't imagine anything worse than feeling kind of embarrassed by somebody saying, oh, if you'd read up to page 25, you would have known that that's actually not what happened or that wasn't the case. And So it was just through a fear of humiliation that I... You know, got, well, like I do most things sort of obsessively. And so make sure, you know, you've read it all and you understand it. And because I didn't have a literary education, I was uh, trained as a scientist, that made me even more uh, careful not to sort of put a foot wrong. So, um, but, you know, um, it, was a, it was a fantastic education, my time at the ABC. I was there for 30 years, um, more or less, because sort of 24 on full-time um, as, a, as an employee and then for years as a freelancer. So, in fact, started at 3RRR in about 1979. Wonderful, Doing wonderful. a science show. So, um, you know, I had a, a, a lot, lot of time to sort of hone, hone my skills and try not to be embarrassed. Now, Lee, uh, this is one of your, you know, many books that you have produced. <laughs> You've written your own and, in fact, uh, I'm sure Triple R listeners will remember you coming on Breakfasters to talk about Imperfect, uh, you know, your latest book that you wrote yourself. But you've also edited a number of anthologies, um, this being the latest, and you have such an, you know, curatorial eye for selecting your authors. I'm just going to name-check a few as well as the wonderful Ramona Caval, who we've just heard from. Uh, we have A.S. Patrick, Alice Pung, Damon Young, Fiona Wright, uh, Kate Holden, Kate Goldsworthy, um, and obviously you yourself uh, are included in this collection. It's it's really so interesting. It's not quite what I expected as well um, in terms of the stories about you know loss or new beginnings. Uh, there are a couple in the in the collection that particularly resonated with me. Kate Holden's, it yes. was just a delight to see her essay in there, um, is sort of talking more about, you know, being a bit of a hoarder, if yeah. anything, but then reflecting on how there was a time in her life when she had to give something up. Absolutely. I really wanted to try and approach the topic of uh, split of endings as uh, widely as possible, as broadly as possible. And I thought it was a really nice touch to and the book about endings with somebody who actually can't um, end from anything, can't proud from anything. And so, f- and for Kate, uh, I mean, actually, in my previous reincarnation as a social worker, I used to work with people who hoard. And for Kate, I think it's not so much hoarding as more, it's more sentimentality. It's like um, her, uh, her things are part of her, as she writes, part of her emotional makeup, and she just needs around, uh, them around her to to remember who she is. Um, but I did a similar thing in uh, the collection I co-edited before, Bella's Daughters, where the stories, the essays in the book were mostly by, uh, well, all basically about um, being a daughter. But the very last essay gave us a different perspective. It was from Mother's Perspective by Jane Carroll. Now, how do you kind of come up with the idea of doing these stories in the first place? I know um, the essay is a is really a form that started to really get revived in recent years. Mm. It's it's had something of a refurbishment. <laughs> you know, I think that people are a little bit sick of you know everything being you know your two hundred and eighty characters, mm. um, Twitter sort of you know like musings or hot takes. We want something more substantial. Is is that kind of, you know, what's sort of pushing you to, to try and, you know, build these collections in the first place? I'm absolutely in love with the form of personal essay. I think it's a very elastic form. I think uh, it's... Um 
Generally, I mean, creative nonfiction is a genre which I absolutely admire, and personal essay is just a subgenre of this genre. But the the thing with personal essay is that you can really branch into everything um, when you write in this form. You can make it as a mini memoir. You can incorporate research. You can do it almost a bit like an opinion piece in a good way, uh, sense of the of this term. Uh, you can even put some poetry into your essays. Actually, uh, Ramon incorporated some lyrics and uh, poetry into her essay. But um, to be very honest, both collections that I edited, The Rebellious Daughters and Split Now, were offered to me to edit. So I didn't actually choose, but I jumped on the opportunity because myself, I, um, I love writing in this form. I think, I mean, the whole idea of an essay is sort of from the French to try, to try and go forth, you know. And and for me, they, they, there was the idea that, you know, I, I met with Lee and she said, would you like to be part of this collection? You know, anything you want to think about, a split. Um, and I thought, well, you know, well, I could write about marriages. I could write about things like that. But then I thought, well, actually, my longest marriage so far has been to an institution, to a corporation. <laughs> so I thought, well, what was it about the nature of this relationship that was so long? And it started off when I was a little child, when you know, institutions like the ABC or the Commonwealth Bank or that sort of thing were sort of part of your very being um, at school, for example. And you sort of grew up with an idea of an institution, a corporation and how, how is that how, how can you split from something like that but the idea of, I, I didn't know how I felt really because it wasn't until Lee asked me to write something that I thought well I'll, I'll have a go and then you know to essay to sort of take off to go for a kind of walk with the idea and see where it led you I mean and really it wasn't until I kind of completed it that I understood something about what I had been through and what I thought about it. And I just want to add very quickly that indeed in Ramona's essay, she, you do exactly what I was talking about. You were com- constantly surprising us with where you went with your essay. I mean, you went into your childhood, you went into offices of ABC, of course, but you also went to Ovid. You went to, as I was saying before, all sorts of lyrics and things like this. So you really, uh, it was really interesting how serpentine you, you essay kind of felt. But the mind is like that. It goes in all yeah. kinds of places and you some <laughs> It reminds you of something else, and something remi- And it's not until you see it and you kind of map it out, you say, "Ah, is that how I got here?" It feels like such a timely essay as well. I, I, you know, I really feel like looking at that and seeing your experience of what the ABC was and where it went to, and you do just, you know, there's a bit of salt in there. You know, you do talk about your time um, as, you know, an independent board member as well as elected by staff, um, and you can see, you know, the beginnings of where the ABC has now gone, um, you know, really in there. But it is, you know, such a time capsule for, uh, you know, for an experience. And I, and it is great that you did actually say it's about a marriage in a sense, because it really, it feels like that. It's got the richness of a, you know, of a great love that, that perhaps is now gone um, forever. And, that, you know, when you revisit it, uh, you know, wearing a sort of um, a visitor's lanyard, I felt that. That really did feel like kind of going back to somewhere that you said goodbye to, but but you, know. you come uh, you were a visitor, but now you're a writer, mm. and you're as we used to say, talent <laughs> instead of being the person who's like you have to do. You have to worry about the time and what we're talking about, <laughs> and, you know, balancing everybody's <laughs> ideas and all of that, and what you're going to say next. Show behind the curtain, Ramona, <laughs> the mystery so revealed. Have to come and talk like about something I had a great pleasure doing, which was writing for Lee.
If you've just joined us and you're wondering what we're talking about, uh, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to Lee Kaufman and Ramona Caval about a wonderful new collection, Split, True Stories of Leaving, Lost and New Beginnings. Lee, you are, you know, that wonderful hybrid of an editor and also an author. Uh, and so you also have a story in this collection, which is an incredibly powerful story. Thank you. Uh, would you like to talk a bit about where this story came from? And, and, and I was really interested to see that you you know you talked about really this was you know two decades in in the kind of making I guess or you know in you being prepared to write about it yeah so I um I had so many different endings in my life because I'm you know twice migrant and three times married (laughs) etc etc and many other endings but uh the ending I wanted to really talk about in Split was a double ending of my love affair with and I mean I'm going to continue sort of Ramona's metaphor with (laughs) and I had a love affair with a man which I sort of described the ending of that love affair but also love affair bigger love affair with the city which was Tel Aviv and uh, my Essays, so my essay is about double ending of these two um, relationships that were very strong, very passionate, and very, in the end, um, damaging to me. Uh, but really, what I wanted to sort of talk about in my essay was about the difficulty of splitting, the difficulty of ending, because the whole essay is about indecision. I I live in Tel Aviv at the time of the essay. I'm in my mid twenties. I have loved that city for so many years, and I and I are passionately in love with Tel Aviv. But I also feel that this city, which is a bit of a, it's a kind of like a fiery city. It's burning me down basically. I need to get out, but I can't make the decision, and I'm stuck in a relationship which is not going anywhere. And then I meet a man when I'm very undecided, undecided whether to to go or not, and he. Um, and he evokes desire in me, and I think, well, maybe this man will turn this city, which has been such a muse to me, but sort of um, started being not good for me. Uh, maybe he will turn Tel Aviv back for me into poetry, and I stay for a while, but of course everything goes wrong then. So it's it's really this sort of, um, for me, well, many of my endings, but this is sort of the most dramatic ending, because that relationship ended up being abusive, but... Um, for me, most of the endings in my life were always a bit like tango dance. So, you know, two steps for, steps forward, but one backward. And so this is really about that push and pull. There's also, you do really manage to capture that, you know, the cognitive dissonance that allows someone to stay in a situation like that. And, and you know, how you suddenly see it, you know, when you do see it. Um, and that realisation is kind of covered at the end. And at the same time, see the flaws in a city you once loved. So, you know, there's so such richness in these essays are there any this is a truly dreadful question i am going to ask it anyway oh, what's my favorite this is no, and don't ask me no, i'm not going to ask you your favorite because that would be a truly yeah, horrible yeah. thing to do on radio um, but i i do want to know are there any that you feel particularly surprised you or came from a place you didn't expect yes yes uh, that's a great question <laughs> No, that's a question I can ask. Not, not as horrible, yes. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. No, what really surprised me is how, again, how vast were the takes in this book on the theme of uh, ending. And the most surprising part, part there were, for me was that there were several essays where people talked about leaving parts of themselves behind, which is something I just did not envisage initially that could have been a topic. So, for example, uh, Damon Young's essay about his relationship with his very difficult father who was an abusive father. In this essay, Damon argues, in my view, very successfully that actually it 
can be very healthy rather than going to therapy and talk for years about what happened to you as a child to leave this part of the child behind and move on. And then there is a Graham Simpson essay where he also interestingly argues that he had some autistic characteristics when he was growing up that he managed to leave behind, which is a very interesting idea as well. There are several essays like that that really surprised me. Ramona, did you have any that you particularly were moved by? Or actually, to be completely honest, there is a question I want to ask you, and that is something we briefly, <laughs> we briefly touched on, and that was, of course, that you know your essay does explore leaving being a broadcaster, someone who talks about someone else's books with such you know great clarity and such depth and care, to writing your own. I really want you to talk just a little bit about that transition. I have absolutely no vested interest in it myself, um, but I'm sure a lot of people listening would be interested. Well, for for so many years I devoted myself to other people's work and um, that was like, you know, everything I talked about I really wanted to because you couldn't do that kind of a show without sort of really throwing yourself into it. So I, you know, I devoted myself to the book. I made sure I understood what it was like inside that book, you know, what the architecture was and where it was going. And and I I wanted to know a lot about the writers and what made them write and who they were. And, um, but that was my own, that was a literary education for me. And I, every book I read expanded my ideas and thinking. And when it it came time for me to say, I'm going now uh, because, uh, I can't do the work I want to do in the way I want to do it anymore. Um, so I, you know, went off into my own head, really. And there were things... I mean, I had written books before in summer holidays and weekends when my children were at their father's and all of that sort of thing. But it was the first time I'd had time to actually sit there and think, I haven't got a deadline anymore. I had, you know, I had a deadline like years away with my uh, publisher, but it's not the same as getting up every day going... I've got to be somewhere and people will hear me talking and I, what do I think and what will I do? How hard was that? It was do? hard because, you know, it's it's hard to say, well, nobody cares whether I'm at my desk or not. Nobody mm. knows what I'm doing. Um, but I got I got used to it and then I got thought, this is fantastic. I can, I can write a thousand words or I can write nothing. I can read, I can surf the internet, I can do all kinds of, meet people and talk to them and and you know, and slowly, slowly, your work builds up, and you work out what you think, because with the cacophony of voices and and words in your head for all those years, sometimes you don't really know what you think. It's really, you know, it's I guess both of your essays have a lot in common. It's leaving a relationship and and having a different relationship with yourself in in many ways. I'm sure that's not such a um, a leap to to kind of see that in both of those pieces. Look, I, I want to thank you so much for this collection of essays. I feel like I still need to explore quite a few of them. Um, and it's really, again, so heartening to see the, um, the essay form being given its due. So thank you so much for joining me today, Ramona Caval and Lee Kaufman. Thank you thank so much. Thank you very much. Three triple R. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.